how to gain trust from elders, how to develop yourself into a great leader, and how running a business is less about how smart you are and more about how you can rally others around your vision, all coming right up. This is episode number 193 with the founder and CEO of Momentous, Matt Wan. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. I'm here because you wanna become the best version of yourself, but there are so many things that you need to do to get there. And because it's overwhelmingly complicated, it's easy to lose focus and it's easy to lose a sense of direction, which is why so many people end up being less than who they could be. That's why I create videos, podcasts, and programs to keep you on track to your best you. Go to nickcarrier.com to learn more. Today, I bring you founder and CEO of Momentous, Matt Wan. Momentous is a premium performance nutrition company focused on quality, sourcing, and transparency that is used by over 100 professional and collegiate teams from the NBA, NFL, MLB, NHL, and the NCAA. Oh, and did I mention, Matt is 22 years old. He started Momentous when he was in high school. His first employee was his high school track coach, and then he dropped out of Harvard to commit to it full-time. I'm pumped to bring you his story and how he's currently working on becoming the best leader that he can be. As you're listening to the episode, be sure to tag me at carrier underscore best you and tag Momentous at live Momentous and tag Matt at underscore Matt dot one on Instagram to let us know that you're listening. Monday morning can be the bane of your existence. It can seem impossible to get motivated on a Monday morning, but not if you're receiving my Monday Motivation Trio 111 newsletter. Every Monday, I send out one motivational quote, one inspiring video, and one workout to get your week started with a bang. Just go to nickcarrier.com slash 111-newsletter to get this in your inbox every Monday morning. Again, it's nickcarrier.com slash 111-newsletter. Without further ado, here's to getting closer to your best you with the founder and CEO of Momentous, Matt Wan. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. I'm super fired up today to have the CEO and founder of Momentous with me today, Matt Wan. So, Matt, I just want to start by saying thanks for spending the time with me today. Yeah, thank you, Nick. I'm excited to meet. Yeah, of course. So, I was connected to Matt through Alden Mills, who I had on the podcast a while back now. He's the creator of the Perfect Push-Up and a Navy SEAL, so I'm pumped to bring you on. And like I said before, Matt is the CEO and founder of Momentus, which is a premium performance nutrition company focused on quality, sourcing, and transparency that's used by over 100 professional and collegiate teams from the NBA, NFL, MLB, NHL, and the NCAA. And with that being said, he's 22. And so I'm really pumped to kind of talk about what it's like having those big of clients and such a great company at such a young age. I'm 25 and most of the people that I interview, you might be the first person that I interviewed that's younger than me. So that's a little bit of a, that's a little bit of a change for me. So I'm excited uh, to flip the script there, but you came up with the idea of kind of momentous when you were 18, as I understand, kind of back in high school. And the first person you hired was your high school track coach. I heard in a podcast. And so then you went to Harvard uh, for maybe two, three years or so. And then you I dropped out of Harvard. For a year. For a year? For a year. We were, so here's what, here's what happened was I, I went for a year and I thought that I could just sort of put the pieces in place, get it organized, possibly hire a CEO if we needed and like launch it and maybe 
you know, maybe just stay on as like a part-time advisor for the brand. But I was 18 and had no idea what the hell I was talking about. And of course, none of that happened and it didn't work out that way at all. So I ended up doing, I did a full year and then uh, took an indefinite leave. So was there like a specific trigger that caused you to finally decide like, okay, I'm not going to stay here anymore. I'm going to leave Harvard and devote 100% of my time to this. Uh, There sort of was. Um, There was sort of a long-term pressure of sort of not really feeling like I was using my time as productively as I wanted to there. Like it wasn't uh, something I was enjoying as much as the time I was, I was spending working on the company. And then there was a pretty pretty near-term or, or, or more singular event, which was we actually tried to hire a CEO, went through a, a pretty extensive search process, found somebody we liked that was you know, certainly on, on paper very qualified. But in practice, they only ended up staying for, I want to say, a month or two. And then unfortunately, they had some really, really unfortunate personal circumstances in their mm-hmm. life that I won't get into that basically meant they weren't going to have the time to run a startup. And so that was basically leaving the company without a head in the, you know, second half of my first year at school. I want to say it was like the end of March or something like that. Gotcha. So what was it? So when you're saying that we were looking for a CEO, what kind of team do you have formed around you at the time? Uh, (laughs) I had myself, our first employee, Matt Chorney. We had somebody that ended up becoming our COO, Kelly Faris, who was possibly still an advisor to the business at that time because there wasn't, there wasn't truthfully sort of a lot going on quite yet. There was quite a lot in concept, but the brand hadn't actually been launched. And then we had our first outs, we had sort of one larger outside investor that was formally involved. And so, you know, between sort of him uh, my father and myself sort of had to decide what to, what to do to run the company. Gotcha. So your high school track coach was one person involved. Your dad was helping you out. But outside of that, you had to bring in maybe some people who didn't know you as well and didn't maybe necessarily have that level of trust in you. So in fairness, right? Like my dad's not actually running the company, right? He's saying like, Mostly he says, don't do this and don't do that. <laughs> He's been yeah. tremendously helpful, but that's, that's, that's like his best skill. Right, right. Well, that's good. That's good. Somebody needs to uh, tell you the wrong things in order for you to be able to know what, what to do. But I want you to kind of speak around being, being young and trying to get people who are older, whether it's employees, whether it's potential clients, whether it's investors, how you get them behind you and how you get them to kind of trust you and your vision. I mean, I got used to hearing no a lot is probably the first thing. So you just sort of learn to deal with that. Um, Learn that some people, certainly at the start when, you know, in fairness, I, I wasn't as credible. I didn't have as many reps selling. I didn't have as many, uh, as much experience in trying to build these types of relationships. And I didn't have much of substance to show for like we do now. So the, the biggest thing was just sort of getting used to hearing no and staying with it and really trying to be thoughtful 
about how to convince people or sell people on our vision when, you know, there wasn't really a lot else going for me. Yeah. There could have been a relationship in place. There could have been uh, a warm intro made or something like that. But generally, well, I'll give you one example. Like um, we have this group of advisors that we call our performance engineers. And these are guys that basically build the formula for us. So they're dietitians and strength coaches and performance directors from teams across each of the four major leagues in the U.S. So these are people that actually help us decide what ingredients to put in the formula, but it was a process to recruit those individuals to actually help us with the brand. And generally, the first time I met them, it would have been because somebody in you know the front office of the teams would have made an intro and said, hey, can you basically, hey, can you meet with this kid, right? Mm -hmm. So generally, they walked into the meeting, not really knowing why they were going to the meeting, but because their boss's boss's boss said they had to be there. And of course, they walk in and it's me, right? Like it's somebody that's clearly like an unusual meeting for them to walk into. And so those were always the ones where I really had to lean on just being authentic with what I was capable of and where my shortcomings were trying to trying to get them involved. Yeah. So how many of those different meetings did you have to go into until you got some of those people on board across the different leagues? I don't know. That's a good question. Um, I probably don't know the answer to that. Often. But so it was, it was a decent amount. The ones where it was like, I had a really good relationship. Right. Right. And so you sort of go from there because you want to try to get a domino or two to fall in your favor. So like I started with this guy, Dave Scholes, who I met as the assistant strength coach at the 49ers, but had since moved on to uh, Utah State and is is now at Texas Tech. And And I got in touch with him because he's somebody that I used to train with, somebody that I had a personal relationship with that I didn't have sort of the same disadvantage. So if I could get him in, on board, then I might be able to get one of his peers. And if I could get two of his peers on board, I've got really two credible people now. Okay, I can. I feel like I can go out and, and meet with somebody who maybe they don't know me, but they know these other two people that are, are involved with the brand. Yeah, so it sounds like you really kind of need to try to leverage a relationship that you have built to some extent initially, and then see if they can potentially, you know, give you a little bit more of a warm intro rather than, a, than you just going out and meeting people that have never really heard of you or anything like that. Right. I mean, it's obviously not the only way to do it, but that, that was right. Good, right? And, I, and I think it's a little bit equivalent to trying to think about like not swinging for the fences every time so much as just trying to stack really small achievable wins on top of each other and trying to think about, okay, the goal of this meeting is not to get you know, a yes, the goal of this meeting is to get a second meeting. Yeah. That, that sort of mindset. Yeah. No, I think that's really key because I talk a lot about goal setting and a lot of my stuff and setting big goals are important, but if you don't have the small achievable goals set along the way, you're going to lose belief in that long-term goal because if you don't see yourself progressing, then you're, and if you don't believe that you can get there and you're going to stop taking action to make that thing become a reality. Um, so I think that's awesome that you kind of had made that mindset shift. I want to kind of go back now to when you were kind of 18, thinking that you wanted to do this and really what was just the main spark 
that was like gave you at an at 18 years old is like, I want to do this. It's actually related to the story we just sort of started to tell with Dave. I was fortunate enough to be able to go in the locker room. Uh, so I was able to go in the locker room and I basically saw that the products, the specifically the sports nutrition products that I was used to seeing on the sidelines were not the same as the products that the players were using. The players instead were using really high quality products that I'd never seen before from brands I'd never heard of. And if I wanted to go find on some sort of shelf, even, even a pretty high-end retail kind of shelf, I just wouldn't have seen before. And so it really started started the path of trying to think about how to create a business in, spa- in the space or, or whether there was in fact a business to be made in the space was really the question of like, okay, I thought I was really educated on this stuff. How is my disconnect from what I perceive to be a quality product and what is truly a, qu- a quality product? How did that become so large? Why have my peers and my teammates and my family never ever heard of these, these, these other brands? Right. Yeah. So essentially you saw that these professional athletes in the locker rooms were using such a high quality product, but kind of more everyday people, if you will, had no idea what those products were and were using lesser quality products. And you're like, people need to be using that stuff. Yeah, yeah, I think that's basically right. I thought people would want to. I thought that there would be a lot more customers like myself who would want to use what those players were using who Mm -hmm. would understand investing in quality over branding. Gotcha. So I know right now, like a a lot of your clients are like, we talked about the teams and NBA, the big, big four and the NCAA and stuff like that. Are you guys trying to just like continue to tap more into that market? Or are you trying to tap into the market as well of people like you and me or high school athletes and everybody who takes, you know, all these supplements that are of lesser quality? Are y'all trying to like spread the word and awareness to a lot of those people too? Yeah, it's great. It's a great question. And actually the team sales component of the business is, is something that lends a lot of credibility to us, but it's mm-hmm. actually the smaller side of the business. Oh, really? Historically, it's actually only been probably about a third of the business in total. But the much larger side of the business is actually the direct consumer customers. So people like ourselves that buy the product through our our website or through Amazon. And that was the goal from the outset. Um, I was not really concerned as much about whether or not these teams and professional athletes had good quality products to buy. Clearly they do. That's where I discovered them in the first place, right? Like the, the idea was more, how do we get consumers to think about supplementation to use these tools the way that professional athletes do and can we create a company that that allows them to do that and so ultimately it was it was all really always about trying to get it into the hands of, of people like you and me gotcha the professional athletes are going to be they're going to be fine whether we're there or not right but yeah we're, we're happy to support them nonetheless yeah and and I, I was listening to the podcast with you and uh, brett bartholomew and a lot of the professional athletes, they get the information. They have the resources of the people to tell them what the best products and stuff like that are. And a lot of other people don't. And so that can be a, maybe a huge cause as to why they're having the lesser quality products. So what's kind of been the biggest challenge for you guys in terms of trying to inform or educate 
the everyday person on why you should take this premium product rather than the lesser quality product that, that they are accustomed to? I'd say that it's been more awareness driven than we anticipated in that um, people don't always plan ahead with their purchasing in exactly the way that you might sort of rationally think that they would. And so more of marketing success, more of what determines whether somebody buys your product or somebody else's product comes down to how often do they think about you? Are you yeah. a part of their life on a consistent basis? It's not, it's not nearly as extreme an example, right? But like the, the, the best examples of these are whatever you see advertising on TV, right? Whether that is car insurance or light beer. It's the things where it's all about when you come to think of buying that product, who do you think of first? And ultimately, awareness is driven by, you know, advertising and branding and your ability at some level to get in front of a lot of eyeballs. So that's probably been the, the biggest challenge. Not an, not an insurmountable one by, in, by any measure, but that takes time, really takes time. Yeah. And, and I, think, I think it's funny that you bring that up because I think I'm learning that lesson a lot myself that it's not always necessarily the product itself that is going to sell itself. It's the way that you market it and it's the way that you build awareness behind it and, and things of that nature. Because like you said, people don't have the rational thought behind things like, okay, here's, what I, here's the goal that I want. Here's the result I'm trying to achieve. What's the, what, what should I buy in order to get there? It's like, no, what's at the top of mind, pulled up, buy it yeah. right off the bat. And that, that's exactly right. Because if you think about it, what we came into it with an understanding of like why the product is better, but our understanding of like why the product was better was entirely based on the performance professionals that designed it. Yeah. And so they're talking about, you know, it's important to, the sourcing is important. The NSF certification is important. You know, cold processing is important, like these types of things. Whereas truthfully for a lot of consumers, you know, like what our, our, our best feature is for a lot of consumers and what keeps people coming back. It's the taste. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that actually doesn't affect the performance of the product, but it makes you enjoy using it. Yeah. It's so funny that people, like you said, just don't have the same, the rationale that you would necessarily expect. So you said that the taste is a kind of a big driver of kind of people returning back and, and, kind of falling in love with the product. What are some other things that you guys are doing like on a practical level and on a, on a business level in terms of trying to build awareness and get into the conversation in your customer's mind more often? Uh, it's a great question. I mean, that's ultimately what our, our marketing comes down to, right? But, right. you know, ultimately what, keep, what keeps people coming back and what, what converts people is a belief that the, the product is of a better quality. Right. Mm -hmm. So when I say it's awareness driven, it's a little bit more specific than that. Right. It's not just somebody that thinks of, um, oh, I need whey protein. It's somebody that thinks of like, I, I want a really good one. Right. And yeah. so they start to think about like what makes for a good one and where have I heard about good ones? These these types of things. Right. So it's a little bit more nuanced than just is it something that tastes good for them? But in terms of how do we become, you know, sort of a more consistent part of their consciousness, 
we want to provide value outside of the bottle. Mm. So we want to provide things to the customers that are uh, valuable to them, even though it's not a product that they're paying for. So part of that is, you know, a podcast that we do now where we try to offer conversations and insight from, you know, the network that makes these products possible. And we try to do that in video form as well. We try to do that in blog form and we try to do that in, you know, more subtle ways as well. Like we try to provide value to our, our partners. You know, we try to have really exceptional customer service. You know, if you reach out, you're going to have a real person responding to you. If (laughs) this has happened a couple of times, if the Eagles, you know, place an order at the last minute and they need it for their road trip, somebody's going to drive it there on Sunday if that's what needs to happen. Right. So you want to take care of these people and, and really make sure that they're, they're getting as much value out of the brand as possible. So yeah. Those are all things you do to try to increase how often people think about you and, and what they think about you. Yeah, I really like what you said in terms of offering them value outside of the bottle, because I think that that is such a big business tip or kind of like business lesson that in order to get into their consciousness more often, don't just provide the product because that the product that they use, depending on the business, is only going to be used every so often. But if you kind of insert your brand into different things that your customers are doing on a regular basis, like listening to podcasts, then your brand and your company and your actual products and services will be of top of their consciousness when they go to purchase the thing that you sell or, or, or whatever, or what have you. Uh, but perfect segue into you, the host of the Momentous podcast. Like you said, you guys have a new podcast out and you interview some awesome people and is there like a commonality among some of the a lot of the people that you interview in terms of because they're highly successful people and they're continuing to strive and strive and strive to do more is there a commonality that you kind of see amongst all of them well there's certainly something that we look for you know i look for people that i think are going to be one interesting for me to talk to yeah that's a big one because i don't think it's a good show if that's not the case And two, are they somebody that's going to help people get better? You know, to be perfectly honest, not not totally dissimilar from, you know, how you describe some of the value propositions for this show, that we really think a lot of the connective tissue with our audience and and ultimately our customers is that they like setting goals. They like having goals. They like working on goals. That's something that makes them feel good. That's actually a part of their identity, whether they're runners or entrepreneurs or CrossFit athletes or cyclists or whatever it is. They, um, they want to pursue things. And I think there are ways to get better at doing that. And that's, that's probably the, the second criteria for me under, is it going to be somebody I enjoy talking to? For right. these? Is there been like a, a biggest takeaway that you've had from the different people that you've had on your podcast that you're like, oh, this person has done that or is doing that, thinks this particular way, and now I'm trying to implement that into my life? Uh, Yeah, actually. I'd say that it's probably too early for me to say anything too profound. You know, we've probably done 50 of these things and released, I think, 30 of them now. So really great guest list. But more than anything, I'd say that I've been 
pleasantly surprised by the fact that no, none of these people seem to overthink things as much as I do. <laughs> and that in of itself has been valuable. I've been a little bit surprised by how many times I've asked somebody a question and they've gone, huh, I've never thought about that. That's a good question. And, you know, maybe that's just an unusual nature of the way I think about it, but it's also a little bit comforting at the same time too, that there is always something new that you can challenge those people with. Yeah. No, I think that, I think, I think that's honestly like profound in and of itself because I think one of the things that a lot of a lot of people think when they're younger, a lot of us think when we're younger is that older people have it all figured out kind of a thing. And <laughs> once you become part of the real world after school or whatever it is, and you kind of realize that a lot of people are just winging it, I mean, obviously not technically just winging it, but a lot of times they're flying by the seat of their pants. They're not really really sure they're going out on a limb and and all that kind of stuff. And it's it's comforting to realize that you're not the only person who's like, I'm not really sure what I'm doing, but I'm going to go for it. Yeah. I, I actually remember realizing that. I remember realizing that specifically. And I was like a freshman in high school, I think. And in middle school, like high schoolers seemed like, so much older than you. Mm-hmm. And then I was in high school and suddenly I was like, oh, they're kind of like me. I just sort of change as I get older. I'm like, oh, like you're all just like me. Yeah. <laughs> There's no like, you don't just like get to a certain age and then it's like, oh, I get it now. Right. Um, you're, you're, you're all just as confused as I am. Yeah. I actually, it's, it's funny that you, that you said that I interviewed a Oh my gosh, I'm blanking on his name right now. But he was a it was a while back that I interviewed him. But he was a former NFL referee, and he was like, I think he was like 87. He's 87, and I talked to him on the phone probably a month before I interviewed him to like set it up and all that kind of stuff. And he asked me about myself, and I was like, Yeah, I'm just trying to figure it out. And he was like, Pause. I'm just trying to figure it out. And I'm 87. He's like, you don't get to an age and you haven't figured it out. He's like, you're always trying to figure things out. So it was hilarious. Yeah. 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 See, that's, I think that's, I think that's comforting at some level. Oh, 1,000%. 1,000%. Nobody, nobody always feels like they're just on the direct path that they're supposed to be on. They're always needing a little bit more clarity. I think everybody needs. Where do you think kind of shifting gears to, being a, a leader of a team and being a leader of a company, where do you think are maybe right now one of your biggest gaps between where you are currently as a leader and where you want to be as a leader? <laughs> uh, it's, it's a very topical question for me, actually, because okay. I actually got uh, I got an executive coach this spring. Nice. I'm four months into my engagement with and, and starting to get feel like I'm getting some really good value out of it. But I think the biggest area we've identified so far is communication. Mm. This is just perfect to be perfectly transparent with you. Um, I have like a very direct way of speaking. I am generally thought of as having a bit of a, a monotone voice. And 
particularly when working remotely with people recently, it can be a little bit hard, or so I understand, to perceive sort of the feelings behind what I'm saying. And so truthfully, I, I, I think, uh, you know, communicating just more effectively and making people feel more of the trust that I have in them is a, is a really big area for me to grow. Mm, I love that. And, and I don't think it necessarily has to be in changing the inflection of your voice. It's just be, it's just in being self-aware enough to maybe know that you have that sort of a voice. So maybe you're, all of your words don't necessarily speak for themselves. Maybe you have to go a little bit further and, and being deliberate in what you say to people saying that you trust them or, you know what I mean? Being a little bit more, go to that next level to make sure they fully understand where you're coming from. Yep. Yep. hundred percent. That was, that was the conclusion my coach and I came to as well. We pretty quickly decided that just trying to change my speaking style was maybe not the best use of our time. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's pretty hard to do. So what you were 18, so you didn't really probably foresee a lot of things coming in front of you when you first started the business. So what do you think is maybe one of the biggest challenges that you have had over the past four years or so that you didn't foresee when you were 18? It might be hard to pick one, but. Well, I didn't, I didn't foresee any of the challenges, but I can, <laughs> I can try to pinpoint maybe what some of the bigger ones were. Okay. Um, I guess I thought running a business was more about being smart than it was about managing people and relationships effectively. You know, I felt like I was really smart. I felt like, you know, I, I knew to some extent there were going to be problems that I couldn't foresee. There were going to be problems that would be really difficult, but I sort of had a general belief in myself of like, I'll, I'll figure those out. And it's, it's, it's certainly a helpful trait to have and, and helpful to have that belief in yourself. But, but ultimately, you know, there's, there's no company or there's very few companies that, that rely solely on one person's ability. Yeah. So your success is going to depend on whether or not you can effectively rally people around uh, the goals you want to accomplish. Yeah. No, I really like that. It's not about necessarily just being smart. It's about, uh, like you said, being able to communicate effectively and, and manage people and rally everybody around a particular vision and a, and a particular mission. So I, this, I don't know what, why it just popped in my head, but it, the question just popped in my head. So when you're going into maybe some meetings with potential clients, potential investors, and again, people who are older than you, do you ever start by addressing like your age? Do you address Absolutely those? Not. Absolutely not. Okay. No. Because I've, I've heard, I, I most people I would think would probably advise like not, but- I mean, I'm honest about it, but right, right. You know, You're not going like to tell I've got, them. I've got 30 minutes with this person. I want to spend 29 of them convincing them that we're a good business to invest in. Right. Right. Is there a, so uh, now I want to kind of s- stay on that topic and I'm not going to take, I don't want to take everything that your executive coach coach has taught you, but besides the like communication thing, what are some, maybe another one or two things that maybe your coach has helped you with in terms of going into meetings with people and how to place yourself 
in there with confidence behind your product and behind your company? I, I wouldn't say actually we really spent any time on that, to be honest. Okay. I'd say it's really been more focused on like my leadership style in terms of like managing my team and the people that work for me. Yeah, like the, an internal leadership style. Yeah, that's that's definitely been the, the biggest area of focus and, and where I feel like there's sort of the greatest opportunity as well. Yeah. Okay, cool. So just to ask more of a, a timely question, what's kind of the biggest lesson you've learned maybe personally or maybe for your business from like COVID-19 and quarantine and everything that's been going on? Um, try not to carry a whole bunch of capital expense if you don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> be light, be lean, um, expect the unexpected, other types of cliches. But, you know, I, I think it's been a huge learning experience for me. Overall, I, I feel like it's really, really forced me to grow as a leader. It's forced me to be truthfully more trusting of, of other people, of people in the company. And it's just, it's made me take a, a much healthier look at the business as well. And so I, I feel like in the future, there will be many more problems that come up that, you know, I, I would have otherwise maybe stressed over more significantly. Yeah. But like probably, honestly, probably April. Yeah. April was probably like the most stressful professional month I've had. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's probably the case for uh, a lot of people, but I I think I like what you said. Like end of March to early April, I guess. Yeah. But I like what you said. I do think that in so many different ways, this whole thing has provided perspective for people. And like you mentioned now, because this huge challenge has come up, you know, future challenges down the road, aren't going to necessarily be or seem as huge as the one that you were in end of March to April. And that kind of where we're still currently in. But so I learned that your family kind of had a big impact on you kind of growing up and, and stuff like that. you you know, you've already mentioned your father. And then I think I saw that you had a recent podcast episode with your uncle. Is that correct? <laughs> um, he's like, you just, he's like your uncle. I was wondering. He's like a brother to okay. my dad. So we, we, I call him Uncle Wick. Um, okay. It's not actually genetically related to me. I, I was wondering about that. But maybe from those, sticking with those two people just to do it uh, for simplicity, what's maybe a couple of the biggest either pieces of advice or, or lessons that they've taught you that you are kind of implementing? Oh man, where do you even start with that? Um, <laughs> you know, I, I'd say to start with my dad, he's been just really available more than anything for me. He's been a career venture capitalist. So he spent a lot of time, not as the CEO, but in managing CEOs and in managing founders and helping them through the types of situations and, and problems that I'm facing. So just having his ear has been completely, completely invaluable. I don't know that there's a specific lesson I should point to of, of all the many, many small tidbits I've, I've gotten to experience, but I'd, I'd say for 
frankly, for, for my dad, Mark, and for Wick and, and, and other types of, quote, uncles like him, just being able to be around them consistently, be able to hear them have, you know, serious discussions, hear them talk about their businesses, hear them, you know, watch them interact with their employees, watch them just behave in a professional environment and make decisions is like, uh, like I just can't imagine any sort of better experience to have for a, for a young person other than for that to feel, you know, normal. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's a, I think that's huge. You know, if you're around somebody who you look up to a lot and you see how they behave in certain ways and in certain instances and then you can kind of model the way that you behave around that. And that's a huge lesson in and of itself. Um, but down to the last couple of questions here, Matt. So I think that in order to get closer to the best version of yourself, it's really important to try to visualize as clear as you can. It's always a constant process of visualizing the best version of yourself. But I think it's important to visualize the best person and then try to reverse engineer him and make that person a reality. So I want you to kind of take take a second to visualize what the best version of yourself looks like. Is there a particular skill or piece of knowledge that that person has that you don't currently have? And if so, what is it? Yep. Yeah, um, I think it's why I felt like it was the most productive thing for me to do was to try to run a company. I think that no matter what I end up working on in my future, I think that I'm going to want to solve problems. I think that that's what sort of makes people happy. I think that's what makes me happy. And, and I can't predict what exactly I'm going to be facing or solving at that time. But I think my success and my ability to do that effectively is going to hinge upon what I talked about earlier, which is, am I able to be a leader? Am I able to communicate effectively? Am I able to manage people, rally people around a vision, sell people on whatever it is, whether that's a product or a company or investment or, or a cause? That's, that's what's going to end up being crucial to that. So it's not like one thing, but I think it's a collection of things that running a company teaches you to do. Mm. That's awesome. I love it. Well, before the last questions, Matt, I just want to acknowledge you because I think for you to be able to take the, you know, the leap of faith to leave Harvard and, and go all in on this company, you know, not really knowing a whole lot and there's a lot of things you didn't know and be willing to continue to learn and learn and learn and to seek advice from coaches and stuff like that. I think it's really cool. And I think it's really admirable what you're doing and uh, can't wait to see what it continues to uh, grow into. Yeah. Thank you. Likewise, you're also similarly uh, youthful. (laughs) Well, I appreciate it. Appreciate it. Well, uh, I want to make sure everybody can go and support you and, um, uh, momentous as much as possible. So make sure you go to livemomentous.com. Um, you can find their products about them. You can find this podcast that we've mentioned a few times and they have some awesome guests and you can find the company on Instagram at livemomentous and you can find Matt on Instagram at underscore matt.one. And uh, Matt, last question. I think that getting closer to the best version of yourself is a constant journey. And I think it's also a unique journey. I think the way that I'm going to get closer to the best version of myself is a little bit different than the way that you're going to get closer to the best version of yourself. So for you personally, if there are three things that you could currently do or currently work on to get closer to that best Matt Juan that you could possibly be, what are those three things that you could currently do or currently work on? 
Um, I need to read more. I'm working on that. As it turns out, uh, other smart people occasionally figure things out and write them down. Mm. And you can save yourself a lot of time if you go and try to read that instead of figuring out figuring it out for yourself. So that's a big one. Other things I'm doing, I'd say that I can get better about my sleep. I'm pretty darn good about it, but I feel like I can get better. Um, I'd like, to, uh, there are a couple things there I feel like I can dial in, particularly around just trying to wind down more effectively at night. I think sleep has a ton of really important impacts on a huge number of markers of your physical and mental health. And, and so I think it's not something to take lightly. Then I think I just got to be hyper-focused on trying to become, uh, you know, a more, a more effective leader. I love it. I think, I mean, I, I think about it like, you know, of all the stuff I have ahead of me, like what's the, what's the first step, right? You talked about what does it look like? What are the steps to get to that version of yourself? And for me, the first step is, is kind of obvious. It's like the best thing I can do is try to make this company successful, right? Like, mm-hmm. cause if I do that, it's going to be so good for, I mean, not only everybody involved, but the relationships and the experience I'll get in getting to that point and for setting up the next thing or whatever it may be. Yeah. Awesome. Well, three great things, man. I appreciate you. Uh, appreciate your time today. It was awesome. Yeah, it was good to meet you. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, appreciate it. There you have it. I hope you enjoyed this unique episode with Matt. Make sure you share this episode with an entrepreneur or athlete that you know. At the age of 22, Matt is taking the performance nutrition industry by storm, and I can't wait to see what all he continues to do and create. If you liked the show, be sure to leave it a rating and review on iTunes and let me know what you thought about it. I also post a video episode every single week along with the show notes, and you can find those at nickcarrier.com slash podcast. Remember, if you're young and are hearing no over and over again, don't stop. Find a way around it. Start with building trust with one person. Then let that person introduce you to someone that they're close with and build trust with them and then repeat it and repeat it. Building trust can happen exponentially, but it has to start small and it has to be authentic. For now, it's time. It's time to take action. Don't let another day go by where you're not focused on becoming your best you. Cast a vision for where you want to go as clearly as you can. Define a few action steps to get closer to that and then execute. The journey is a constant one. It is a bumpy one, but it's a worthy one. It's the journey closer and closer to your best you. You.